A reading from Genesis 14, verses 17 through 20. After his return from the defeat of Cherdolomer and the kings who were with him, the kings of Sodom, went out to meet at the valley of Shava, that is, the king's valley. And King Melchizedek of Salem brought out bread and wine. He was priest of, the, of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him one-tenth of everything. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, on this day of beauty and of hope, remind us of all that you've given us. Challenge us to worship and serve you. May the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O you who are our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I've enjoyed developing this series of sermons this fall on why questions, and I hope you have found them helpful. In the 38 years I've been preaching, the 14 in your midst, it seemed important to me this year to return to fundamental questions about our life together. Why church? Why Westminster? Why join? Why give? And why tithe? In addressing the first question, I said that the why of church is community, but not simply the community we find among people of similar interests and dispositions, but the community in which our worship, education, service, and our common life together help us to begin or grow in our Christian faith. The why of church is the community which draws us closer to God. To the second question, I said that the particular why of Westminster, the why that Westminster offers the greater Holy Catholic Church, is traditional Protestant worship centered around several genres of sacred music drawn from across the centuries and centered around thoughtful preaching, as well as an intentional welcome that we exercise to people at different stages of their faith, and to people of a variety of political and social viewpoints that are found in our nation at this time in our history. In addressing the third question, I said that the reason we join, the reasons we join a church are change, community, and challenge. When we join a particular congregation, We recognize an interchange through which we are going that is often symbolized in the Bible by putting on a new set of clothes or donning a new uniform of responsibility. We also join others in a community who are going through a similar change. And we are challenged in our change by those in our congregation we admire and look up to and by those for whom our first impression is not necessarily one of admiration. We join a church because of change, community, and challenge. 
In last Sunday's sermon addressing the fourth question, why give? I said that giving to the church is giving to the most sacred entity we know. For all other entities in our lives, even those of home and family and work and friendship and neighborhood, can come and go. And I said that when we give to the church, our faith increases because our heart follows those places where we place our treasure. These questions about our relationships to and within the congregation came home to me in two emails that I received following last week's service. One of them read, Dear Larry, Following the tragic events in Pittsburgh on Saturday, I came to church the next day with a heavy heart. I needed the comfort of familiar ritual and prayers. I received much more. I want to thank Ben for the beautiful violin solo, Whitney for the uplifting prayer, and you for an inspiring sermon about commitment. I was reminded anew of the power of worship. With the strains of a mighty fortress is our God echoing in my head, I journeyed home with renewed hope and faith. I am grateful for the many gifts that Westminster has given me over the years, and I don't say thank you often enough. A second email read, Dear Larry, I was disappointed not to hear a stronger message from the pulpit today about the hateful and violent events of the past week. I was wondering if you would share with me some of the thinking that led to your decision to keep with the theme of stewardship. I noted the revisions in your sermon to include references to the bombs and the shooting And I appreciated Whitney's pastoral prayer. And I must confess that the synagogue shooting has been particularly upsetting for me. I worry that we as a country are becoming inured to mass violence and hateful acts against those we consider different from ourselves. That shakes my faith in both the ideals on which our nation was founded and in the mighty fortress, which is our God. The bloodshed in the Tree of Life synagogue is a sign that hatred of the other is poisoning our public life. Both of these emails bear witness to the responsible and respectful diversity that is in this congregation. Both led to deeper conversations with their senders. Both reflect a common sorrow about our nation and a common hope that God will indeed remain a mighty fortress for us all. These emails are an expression of what we can learn from one another when in a time of change, and challenge, we engage more deeply in this community known as Westminster Presbyterian Church. 
I conclude this series today by seeking to answer perhaps the most personally ambitious question of all. Why tithe? Sometimes in the, parla- in the common parlance of the church, we use the phrase tithes and offerings as if they are one and the same. To return to the game we played in logic classes in college, a tithe is an offering, but not all offerings are tithes. In the vocabulary of the church, which we inherit from the Old Testament, a tithe, which appears over 36 times in the Bible, is an offering that represents 10% of what we have. Rooted in agricultural days when offerings normally consisted of grain or fruit or livestock, a tithe is, as is said in today's scripture reading, 10% of everything. This phrase, 10% of everything, is used to describe a tithe at more than one place in the Bible. Translated to our day, a tithe refers to the giving of 10% of our income to the church. The surest and simplest way to calculate a tithe is to say it is 10% of the total income we receive before taxes as well as before contributions we make to causes educational, artistic, scientific, and philanthropic. This is an exceedingly high standard. But in the long run, it's clearer if we just say a tithe is 10% of everything. In my first sermon at Westminster 14 years ago, As in a letter members received this week accompanying our stewardship brochure and pledge card, I shared with you that I was in my mid-40s before I reached the level of tithing. Some of you have shared with me that you began tithing in your 20s when you made your first pledge to the church alone or with a spouse. Others have shared that you came to tithing later in life, growing steadily year by year. And for some, tithing came all at once when you heard a sermon and decided to respond in full. I sense that many of you in this congregation are seeking seriously to get to tithing over time. And I am sure for others, it seems like a mountain in the distance covered with clouds, much too far away to even hike toward, much too tall to attempt to climb. But in the remaining minutes of the sermon, I want to ask all of us to set or renew tithing as a goal for our lives. And I want to offer what it's like to reach that goal and what we can do afterward. As always, I appreciate your listening and your consideration. Why do I ask you to set tithing as a, as a serious goal for your life? First, I ask you this because I believe that our faith is neither as rich nor complete until we are committed to returning to God 
a significant portion of the material goods which so mark and bless our lives. Martin Luther wrote, There are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. Without the conversion of the purse, it is far too easy for the conversion of the heart and the mind to float up here in heaven, spiritual to be sure, but prone to being abstract and removed from the world in which we live. When we devote a significant portion of our resources as an offering to God, we better remember God's role in enabling us to have these resources in the first place. And we better remember the responsibility God has given us to care for the world in which God has placed us with these resources. When I devote a significant portion of my resources to the God who enables me to have them, I find that I care more for the widow and the orphan, the least, the last, and the lost, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, the imprisoned. When I devote a significant portion of my income to God, I think not twice about placing a few dollars in a cup a veteran holds, a veteran in a wheelchair holds before me as I enter or leave Nats Stadium, or writing a check to a teenager whose ring of my doorbell awakens me from an afternoon nap, who is trying to raise money for a school trip. All of this is part of the conversion of the purse that must needs accompany the conversion of the head and the heart. It is aligning ourselves with the Jewish phrase tikkun olam, the healing of the world. Second, once we reach the goal of tithing over whatever number of steps or years it takes, we find that we will never look back. When Maggie and I married 12 years ago, we were both tithers, and we have found since that we still increase our pledge to the church every year, usually in response to what our churches are seeking to do. Thus, we now give over $32,000 annually combined to our two churches. When I calculated it this summer, like Steve, it turned out to be over 13% of our combined pre-tax income. Nothing says that we have to stop with a tithe. And the truth is, once we are there, we don't really want to stop. It has simply become a natural part of our faith. And third, the spirit that leads us as Christians to tithe can lead us as well to leave a portion of our estate to the church. A final act of giving involves not only passing on what we have to those we love, to the institutions that have helped shape us, to the organizations which feed and clothe and shelter people, 
But our final gift can also come in the portion, in the form of passing on our full estate or half of our estate or a tithe of our estate in the same spirit of giving that leads us to set a goal of tithing during our lifetime. It is all part of the conversion of the purse, the hardest yet an attainable conversion. A first grade teacher I knew who worked in a school, most of whose students were on free and reduced lunches, once shared with me how quickly parents of her students gave when one of their number developed a serious illness. Likewise, on the trip I made on behalf of Westminster to Kenya, I experienced how it how important it is for those we support there to give us gifts, most of which we cannot even fit into our already overstuffed suitcases. Giving among third world people is an act of sheer joy. It can be for us as well. And often it is beyond 10% of everything. I want to close with a scripture which captures this joy. It is a passage that comes from the apocryphal section of our Bible, which means it comes from our Bible, but not from our official canon. It is found in the book of Ecclesiasticus, not Ecclesiastes, but also known as the wisdom of Jesus, son of Sirach. It's a lot of introduction. It captures the sheer joy of giving, the joy of tithing. Do not appear before the Lord empty-handed, for all that you offer is in fulfillment of the commandment. The offering of the faithful enriches the altar, and its pleasing odor rises above to the God Most High. The sacrifice of the faithful is acceptable, and it will never be forgotten. Be generous when you worship the Lord and do not stint the first fruits of your hands. With every gift, show a cheerful face and dedicate your tithe with gladness. Give to the Most High as God has given you and as generously as you can afford. For the Lord is the one who repays and he will repay you sevenfold. This, 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 my friends, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.